0: This is episode number 80 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Bringing you the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Before we get into the weekly podcast, we like to talk about what we're drinking to get into the mood to bring you the latest and greatest. So my friend, what are you doing?
1: Today I'm doing Glenn 15 double and how about yourself? That's very
0: manly drink. I'm gonna do something close. I had to trim my beard, so I gotta work on regrowing. <laughs> Not quite as manly. There's a little bit of other things in mind, but I'm doing an old fashioned. Okay. With Knob Creek. All right. So let's. Uh, I guess just jump right straight into it. Okay. I mean, what are we doing?
1: This episode, diverse amount of topics. We're gonna lead off with what's that? Oops. 404 pages. How should we be looking at those? Is that even something we should really be concentrating on? Looking at the different ways in which you need to construct and look at your web pages. Tag management, wait, as a marker, why should I even care about that? Oh, we well, will let you know about the deets on why you should care. Negative SEO, should you be spending your time on that as a company? And then last but not least, what is Google doing in Mountain View? What are the crazy things that they have brewing up that we need to be paying attention to as online businesses? So let's go ahead and get started. 404 pages. What is the
0: deal with oops, and how should we be better handling that? This is coming straight from an article from our sort of friends slash acquaintances over at Marketing Experiments. Blog title, Website Optimization, Six Tips for Effective 404 Pages. I think there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe interesting information in this blog post. I wanted to bring up a couple of things that I thought about 404 Pages. I myself have been thoroughly confused by several companies' 404 Pages, and some additional thoughts just along the lines of, hey, if you have so many 404 pages that you re- need to realistically be worrying about the design, maybe you should be looking at why <laughs> you have so many 404 Correctamundo. <laughs> pages. Um, realistically, if you have enough 404 pages from things like we're removing old content and pages, we no longer sell products that we used to sell. Sure. I think better solutions to that would be to in the case of an e-commerce store who no longer sells a product, still show the product on the page, but maybe gray it out, show something along the lines, we no longer carry this, here's a few other similar products type thing, and still serve the 404 status in the header response so that search engines stop listing it. This is, you know, if you're unfamiliar with what that really means, Google it and get a little bit more information about what a 404 really means, which actually, now that I think about it, maybe I need to back up. What is a 404? Maybe. Maybe Maybe some of the people aren't technically minded to know what that means. So a 404 page Page is a page that you get to typically on a website because you've entered a URL that isn't valid. So if you go to google.com slash I made this up, you'll likely see a 404, this page is broken, how did you get here, maybe try going here to find a real page. This isn't a valid website URL. So that's what a 404 page is. So a lot of big websites like to do custom designs on their 404 Oh, four pages and get a little fancy trying to divert people to the right location. So I talked a little bit about that e-commerce example, but in this blog post in particular, which again, we will tweet out, there are some mainstream sites displayed on here who have sort of interesting 404 pages, as I would, I guess, put it. A couple of them, I think, go too far. And this is something that I run into a lot with 404 pages. If I have to look at your page for more than 10 seconds to realize that it's a broken page, a 404 <laughs> page, then that's a problem. I think right. your 404 page should very clearly and most prominently say that this is a broken page. This is a broken URL. Sure. Oftentimes there's a couple examples in here. There's cake sweet cake, I think, as an example. I think that page, again, we'll tweet this out. That one in particular, I think is it's too much. It looks too much like a normal content page. If I don't read that one headline, it seems like a normal page on the website. That is something you need to stay away from doing. It needs to be very clear, first and foremost, this is a broken page. And then maybe try to help people get to the correct page. There's also an example, I think this is from like Lego or something like that, where it's a very cute guy with a disconnected plug <laughs> or whatever. Right. Again, though, I think the issue there is I, I don't initially know that this is a broken page. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I don't think this is a massive issue, at least shouldn't, and hopefully isn't in your company. Mm -hmm. Again, if you have a lot of 404 pages, step one, find out why that is. Why do you have a bunch of broken pages or links out there? Did you send an email out with the wrong link? I've never done that before, (laughs) but if you did, (laughs) how do you recover from that? Don't make mistakes like that. Are you linking to 404 broken links in a lot of places on your website? Google's Webmaster Tools can help you identify some of those places where you're linking off to URLs that aren't valid on your own website. Are there a bunch of outside websites linking to 404 pages on your site that aren't current anymore? You don't have those pages anymore? Mm-hmm. Maybe redirect those over to Contact more relevant. Contact
1: the webmasters, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah,
0: get those, get those links fixed, redirect them over. Last but not least, we do need 404 pages. If you're going to custom design one, make it very clear that it is an error page. And then I think probably the best would be to do some sort of search box on there. I don't think there's too much that needs to be thrown in on this and and thought about, but just some interesting little insights I found because I came across this article and it got me thinking. Any thoughts you have?
1: I would also think about how can you intelligently handle that 404 process? So a lot of people take the approach of let's show a 404 page very static, very hard stop in the user journey. But if you are one that is in the e-commerce space or really any sort of website, most sites out there in general have a hierarchy of content. You know, we have particular products. We even might have subcategory of products. You can use an aquarium site as an example. They might have a tank section. They might then have freshwater, saltwater, or filters or things of that nature. And depending on where the 404 is coming into, we might know the type of category that people are trying to get into or where that product is nested or that content. And it might be a better experience to go ahead and throw them up one level. Hey, we don't have this content. Here's the content that you might be interested in looking at or just going ahead and throwing them into a general categories page. It's unideal because it's, again, not serving at the product that they intended to. But even in the case of search, you're trying to rely on people knowing what they're looking for that's going to match what our search results are and things of that nature. So you might have a better opportunity for success thinking about with our 404 pages or people looking for content that is no longer on our site or doesn't exist, can we ascertain something from where they're trying to get to and go ahead and send them there. And is that a better experience for them instead of just having a hard stop page? So think through first, as Rob said, yeah. why are your errors happening? But two, is there a better way to handle those in the fact of let's not just have a visual treatment of that, but do we need to have a search box? Or is there something about the URL coming in that we can understand where they're trying to get to and at least get them Part of the way there, the person that started this whole trend, I think, it was Twitter with their fail whale streaming. That's kind of kicked off the, you know, let's make these very ornate and marketable yeah. 404. In, pages. in their
0: case, I think it was like a server error page, which is like a ah. 500 or something. Yeah, but right. I think they got the popularity started because their site failed so often. <laughs> Ruby on Rails for you. <laughs> right. over there, there's a knock on that. Um, <laughs> I think all, again, all, all good points you had. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I don't actually personally have custom 404 pages on any of the web. Websites that I manage, I like to keep them tight. If I have (laughs) 404s, I fix them. Right. So I don't spend too much time dealing with that. But I know a lot of websites it can get a little crazy. And if you're still serving up a a static 404 that just says error, you know maybe there's a little bit to be gained by trying to do a little bit of a custom one and and spruce it up and get people going in the right direction. So enough on that. Let's talk about Crazy Egg and their ideal landing page. Seven steps to look at constructing a page.
1: We're actually not going to talk about seven because some of them aren't very good. But that article was seven step guide to a mind reading landing page and the goal of this article was to walk people down how do we construct web pages that when someone lands on here i'm essentially reading their mind's eye and answering all the concerns and questions they have to so eventually leading them to at the end of the page going yeah i'm gonna buy this or do this because they've quelled all my concerns that was an interesting article to think through what are some of the aspects in which you need to dissect Your page and how you construct it. And I thought some of them were worthwhile mentioning. And we're not going to go into all seven. You should definitely read the article, which, as Rob said, we'll tweet out. But first, understanding, and I think this is really marketing 101 in my opinion, but understanding the persona of who people are that are coming here, but also what is your persona? How is your voice that you're going to communicate to the customer? Is that going to be a good fit for your target demographic? for that channel or how those people are coming into your site, um, but also your target customer And the, at the end of the day. Do you want to take a more comedic or joking tone? Do you want to be very serious, very academic-driven, things of that nature? And you need to establish that persona, stick to it throughout the entire user journey, but also make sure that you've identified who your target customers are and making sure that there is some synergy there, to use a buzzword. Your own speaking voice and persona that you're using isn't throwing that group off, or distasteful to them, or you know unappealing. Mm -hmm. So the next one that they talk about that I I wanted to mention to some people, and this ties into a pet peeve of mine, is the lack of attention to design. Step three in this article was introducing visual power, and the point of this was to really make sure that you have a unforgettable visual interface that will linger on the page, something that is all striking to people. They will remember and be part of the visit that will stick with them. And I think that a lot of marketers don't put enough emphasis into design and that how that plays into not only the conversion aspect of things, you know, is my page designed well for UX and things of that nature, but particularly when we're pricing out products and just the reputation that we instill with our brand exposure, design has a lot to do with that. You know, particularly against pricing points, I believe, you know, if we have a well-designed out process, that quality is exuded by design. I think it's a easier sell to people to potentially give us money and a lot of it for a particular service because that endued quality that we're uh, showcasing with our design is one that helps them make that leap. But the point of this was, as well, the brain from a scientific standpoint as well can process images far faster than text. So the point being when someone comes to our page, you know, that typical and widely used five second rule. When someone lands on our site, what is that initial pop factor that we have that keeps them present, gets them interested, but in some cases helps them absorb our messaging through the use of images and visual hierarchy to essentially get a better idea of what we have to offer?
0: Yeah, I think there's so many different ways you could go with that. I mean, you know, you mentioned visual hierarchy. I mean, different colors Mm -hmm. uh, make me feel different emotions, different styles can make me feel different things. Is it cartoony? Is it more professional? Is it clean? Is it complex? I mean, all of these things actually do have a large difference on how people perceive your brand and interact with your website. So, I mean, I think that's, again, like you said, that's something that people kind of overlook oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So let's just stick to our sort of brand guidelines and use what we normally use in terms of colors and design. But for certain people coming from different paths, your landing page design just how it looks and feels can be a huge part of it.
1: Well, especially with how easy it is to find alternatives. You Mm -hmm. know, I might be hopping within a matter of five minutes between three competitors, and now I'm landing on your site. And having that striking visual presence means a lot, especially when, you know, I don't have to hop into my car, go to a different store, look for what I was trying to buy. Now that is much easier, so that crux and keeping power that design have can be very important. The last thing I wanted to talk about, was, I think a Not too many companies do this and execute very well, but understanding what are the typical objections and concerns to your products or offering. Maybe it's not even you're selling something. Maybe it's just strictly about getting lead generation or people subscribing to your email newsletter or things of that nature. Understanding what people's typical concerns and objections are to that and making sure that your page squashes those. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the key thing that you need to understand is One, not getting too greedy with that. A lot of people that I found in companies go down this route and they want to answer every single stupid objection that they've ever heard from any one of their clients. And the problem that you have there is one, that just becomes too long and too much for people to absorb and go through to make a decision. But two, you also might be instilling some objections or concerns into people that they actually didn't even have coming Mm -hmm. into this process that are just these one-off fringe cases. So just be careful about how much objection handling that you're trying to accomplish on your page. Focus on the key ones. Don't get too greedy. Make sure that you have customer service or contact us information very prevalent so those people continue that conversation with you. But don't go overboard. And number two, I would say being okay with understanding that there are some objections in the first place and talking about that on your website. I think a lot of companies want to always take a positive tone with everything that they do, which I can certainly understand But let's be realist here that there are in some industry some bad experiences or concerns that people have and talking about those and how you're different can be a differentiator. Perfect example might be SEO. Many, many companies have had Experience with SEOs in the past that are terrible. They just essentially took their money and ran, or even potentially burned a whole domain. And I think talking about the state of nature of your industry or bad past experiences that people might have can really help you set apart and connect with those visitors as well. So don't necessarily be too opposed to talking to the negative on your site because it can. Again, can help really connect with your visitors, which is what you're trying to do and show that you're
0: different and these are the reasons why someone should pick you. Those are a couple of good points. I, I want to sort of talk a little bit about number one there because this is something I just ran into with a client. We have a little bit of time, so I can do a little bit of sidetracking. Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah. You know, so you were talking about the fact of trying to answer every question that someone could possibly have on a landing page or a process or in any of your marketing messaging. And I think that's such a huge mistake that so many people make. And that, you know, and you sort of mentioned this is that, look, I wasn't even thinking about that one thing that you just mentioned now. And now I'm confused. Mm-hmm. And you brought up something I didn't need to know about or think about or didn't know was a concern. And now I need to go research that. And I need to find out where your competitors stand on that. Mm-hmm. And maybe take the example of like internet. I just want to get like Comcast internet versus DSL or something like that all i care about is like how much does it cost and maybe download speed but then if you start talking about like upload speeds which to most me, people doesn't matter at all. But now I have to go out and figure out what the hell does that even mean? Do I need that? Uh, what speed do I need? It just throws out things that for most customers are never going to be a concern and confuses them and potentially gets them researching your competitors to see where they fall in line with you. So that's something or just I just just feeling to,
1: paralyzed in the yeah. decision process. It's like, I don't know what that is. I start researching it and I'm going down this rabbit hole where it's like, I, uh, I don't really even, still don't even know yeah. after some research or you don't really talk about it that much neither do your competitors and now I'm unsure about the purchase but you know I think your points spot on
0: exactly in that internet example as a user I thought getting internet was easy I thought there were three options and this was pretty easy you know which one's cheaper more expensive whatever but again throwing a bunch of options and figures and stats at people confuses them Mm -hmm. and and gets them to a point where uh, I can't make this decision now I'll figure it out later so that's something to definitely keep in mind in anything you do with your marketing messaging let's move on tag management is something I briefly Wanted to talk about this. Is I've been dealing with this more and more recently as I feel like remarketing has just taken off. And damn it, if there are not like 20 tags I gotta throw on like every page. Mm -hmm. And it's not even just on pages. It's like I gotta fire tags when people complete certain actions. And how do we do this easily? How do I manage all this shit? And there is one way to do it, and it's just tag management. There are a few people out there that do this. Google Tag Manager is obviously the free and easy one. It's probably the one most people are going to be familiar mm-hmm. with. Okay, let's do this again like I did with four four pages. Let's back up a second. Yes. What the hell is Tag Management? Tag Management lets you put one piece of code across your entire website. And then through an online interface allows you to inject other pieces of code on either the entire website or certain pages, or when people take certain actions, or when people have come from certain places, or all sorts of different things you can do to fire off certain tracking codes for certain actions or for certain people. A couple companies that do this, Google Tag Manager, like I mentioned, Telium, OpenTag. I'm sure you're maybe Tagman's another big tag one. man is, yeah, that's another uh, big one. Yeah, Insight is another one. A lot of those are more enterprise level Uh, Google Tag Manager is one that you could get up and running with pretty easily Mm -hmm. a lot of slick integrations with for example Google Analytics so let's take
1: another step back why should marketers even care about tag management this
0: is what I'm getting into here are the benefits of using let's just say a tag management software period not necessarily limited to Google Tag Manager you know I mentioned some of these remarketing things so let's say that I'm up and running I've got my analytics code I've just got Google Analytics code on my entire website now I'm running some things Facebook campaigns. There's some Twitter campaigns, which we love to talk about Twitter a lot. So I need to get some remarketing pixels up for Twitter onto my website. Now I got to talk to my dev team. Uh, Turnaround time on that is gonna be about two months. Which pages do you want this on again? Okay. We'll put this on the entire site. Four months. Oh, Twitter's got a new feature now. Or I want to target people who did a certain action. Now I got to go through this entire dev cycle again of getting them to put the pixel on this certain page. Oh, come to find out, they put it on the wrong page. So now I'm totally screwed. And this list, it needs to be all over and done again. So that's the sort of thing you can get around by using a tag management software. You, the marketer can be in total control of when and where we fire these pixels. A lot of these things are kind of easy to use. You can say, I want to fire pixels when people complete certain actions or visit certain sections of my website. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm an e-commerce company and I want to target people who have viewed, to use your aquarium example, which you've used, that I want to target people who have viewed saltwater aquarium section on my site. So if the URL contains saltwater, then I want to target those people and i'm going to put these different codes on those people these remarketing pixels or mm-hmm. these ad roll pixels or whatever it is i want to do so that's i think a pretty simple example that i think most people can
1: sounds very complex understand. but at the end of the day it's a lot simpler mm-hmm. than actually hard coding and i think you know to clarify some of that you know as someone that works in a business where many, many people in marketing have zero dev experience, which I think we covered in the last episode, tag managers can allow you to roll out features and interface with tools such as Google Analytics or Facebook or Twitter, and take advantage of some of the cool features that they have without necessarily relying on always going to your IT team, submitting a request, having them get around to it, and being able to act a little bit more agile. One of the things that you need to be careful of though is with this power, comes great responsibility and that you do need to sort of understand a little bit of code and that you need to double check yourself just having the ability to put in some of these scripts and tags you can still royally mess up your site if you do not know what you're doing and you need to have at least some basic level knowledge of being able to double check the information that you're putting in or fire off to your it team hey we added a new tag to the tag manager can you just give us a quick look and make sure it's not breaking anything
0: to your point there are are a lot of other technical issues that get involved when you start using a tag manager. If you want to start you doing things like AB testing with tag managers, mm-hmm. it gets you kind of go down in a rabbit hole of we're loading scripts inside scripts and scripts and scripts. Sure. Uh, So you do run into some issues. And yes, you do need to be somewhat technically minded. But I think for a lot of the things that a lot of marketers would Mm -hmm. need to be doing, pretty straightforward in terms of like, hey, I want to fire this conversion pixel when people see this certain page. Mm -hmm. Some of those things are pretty easy to get up and running with, especially like a Google Tag Manager. It's pretty straightforward. But at the same time, you can get incredibly complex with some of the things you want to do. So I just wanted to mention tag management as a concept Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Maybe there are some people out there who aren't quite familiar with it yet and have... 20 pieces of code snippets at the bottom of some of their pages and they've forgotten which pages or where. It also affords another opportunity to sort of put all of those things in one place and you can very easily understand. Well and all of to that, that point is. I think this
1: is actually one that mentioning at least with Google Tag Manager you can actually make notes about certain things mm-hmm. that you add to the site. So I think one of the nice things about it is if you have an auditing process You know, we, we try to keep our sites as minimal as possible. We want those page speeds up because that's important to Search engines and our users, when you're going through all the JavaScript that's on your site every three to six months, you can look through your tag management software and say, oh, we added it for this. That person's no longer an affiliate or we're not actually even using that tool anymore. Let's go ahead and remove that. And keep our site as fast and as flexible as possible. So that's another you know, pro where you don't necessarily have to rely on IT going in and removing things, uh, but also remembering why you even added it in the first place. So mm-hmm. again, at the end of the day, it allows marketers... Some more agility, not having to feel so handcuffed by IT when they want to put up a new tracker or try a new feature. You know, tag management might allow them the opportunity to same day or within the same week, get up and going. The last thing we're going to chat about before we get into Google Corner is a negative SEO. I know you've had some experience in this. And just to set the stage, what we're talking about here is there's this concept of SEO which is you know, trying to get your site to rank better organically. But there are the efforts to which you try to increase that ranking by going out and maybe acquiring some more links or generating some new content. Maybe it's overhauling your meta information on your site or your URL structure. It's a lot of different what we would call positive SEO efforts. The other side of that is negative SEO where you're actually trying to clean up the mess that might be present on the site that you have. Perhaps you have some really bad content. We mentioned last episode that there's a new Panda update rolling out targeting poor content. Maybe you want to start analyzing the content that you have out there, removing the crap content, which then you might need to look at your 404 pages, or you know, maybe you have some bad links out there. There are some updates and algorithms within Google that specifically look at your link quality. So there is this concept of negative SEO that instead of going out and acquiring new things like links or generating content, that you're going through and cleaning up or maybe even removing some of the assets that your company has out there to increase your SEO. So I want to talk about with you particularly, because I know you have a lot of experience, and this was prompted by a Search Engine Land article, which we'll tweet out. I don't think we'll spend much time really even looking. At it, they kind of explain what negative SEO is, which we talked about, and really the the article centers around the big push for negative SEO was Google's rollout of the Penguin update, which really was targeting poor link building practices that. Webmasters were using to manipulate search results to get their sites ranking higher. So that's really what spurred a lot of this on and what Search Engine Land really talked about and is a focus for a lot of people for negative SEO. There is the content side of things now that Panda has continued to mature and Google has been paying more attention to is your content actually really worthwhile? Is there a discussion about it or is it just a rehash of what's already out there on the net? Content is now becoming more of a consideration of do we actually want want that content on our site or does it present a risk but open it up to you you know what have your experiences been with negative seo is it actually worth people's time to start going down that route or looking at it or is maybe their time better spent generating out that new content and trying to get more links
0: that's a tough one, really. A lot of the websites I've I've worked with and managed over the years have delved into some of the more shadier tactics with SEO because of what, it's, what it sort of took to rank well in some of the competitive niches. And obviously over time, Google has updated a lot of things and taken a closer look at your link profiles and your content and all of those things. So I think that if you stand in that sort of crowd where you are in a super competitive niche or an industry where a lot of people do a lot of these sort of dirty SEO things, or if you've done a lot of questionable things in the past, I think it does make a lot of sense to pay attention to your disavow links lists inside Google, webmaster tools that is, and to download your backlink profiles and see what they look like, maybe get people to change links if they're over-optimized, things like that. I mean, it's something that we've or that I've spent a lot of money and time doing for some of the websites I manage. At the same time, though, I mean, my general approach to SEO over the last five years has sort of changed to basically this, which is just make good content and the rest should usually follow. So I think that's sort of where I stand with that. If that even sort of makes sense, I guess it, I hope it does. If you've done things right over time, I don't think it's something you need to really worry about.
1: So I guess first step for people needs to be assess where you're at. You know, if you're potentially some people are really new to this space, they're fresh out of college or they're new to the marketing scene. And this has been SEO is something that you are put in charge of. If this is an old site or an older business, you need to really assess Mm -hmm. what's happened before I got here. The problem with the Internet, you don't get to start with a clean slate. And so if there's been some efforts in the past that have led to some not above board tactics, then you really need to start to address. And the problem that those present is a lot of people didn't know what they were getting into. They were approached by, this is in air quotes, SEO companies will help you rank well And those firms that people trusted and thought were SEO experts were taking these very shady tactics that are costing businesses now. At the time, that was bread and butter. You know, they saw results. They were skyrocketing into the rankings. Well, now the justice police is coming around and you're starting to pay dearly for it. So if you are new to a company or you really haven't done much research in where your SEO sits, you need to really assess where is our content at, where are our links, and what What does our picture look like? But to Rob's point, if you're starting with something fresh or you've already done that research, negative SEO is probably not something you need to really pay attention to. As long as you're keeping up with the updates that Google has and you're falling in line with those, then your time is probably better spent to continue to do things well, invest into great content, talk with those webmasters, get those great links out there. But first step is really just assess where you're at. But negative
0: SEO might be something that you really need to concentrate on. All right. Last, not least, some Google updates, Google Corner. What are we talking about this week?
1: All right. So for Google Corner, let's wrap it up with Mountain View. We were just talking about Google, but why not in the episode with our favorite people in California? First, Google's structured snippets are finally rolling out live into search results. We always talk about these nice media-rich snippets and different data markup that you can do within your code. Just to take a step back, as we like to do, and explain the situation, structured snippets are data that you relay to Google about a particular page or a product. So this might be, in this article's example, perhaps you're looking up a very specific camera on Google. Let's say it's this Nikon D7100 camera. There is a way in which is documented in their Webmaster Guidelines, which you can read and we'll tweet out a link to, to tell them more information about that product other than just what might be in your page description. So by default, you might have a piece of code on your site that'll tell people generally about this product's page. This is the new Nikon D7100. 100, blah, 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 blah. The structured snippets allow you to give very specific and structured data based on the product or the page that people are going to. So in this example, not only is Google pulling in all that information, but there are specific bullet points about what the sensor is, the focal length, battery life, or things of that nature. Now, this is a very, very small change, but I do think that in particular niches, this could actually be a great differentiator for many sites because it helps people make decisions quicker, but also, and this is potentially ripe for abuse, you can start introducing some slight value proposition elements directly within your search engine results on why people might want to come in and shop with you, potentially looking at putting in shipping information within some of these structured snippets or sale information or or things of that nature can really help you stand out in search engine results pages. So you really need to pay attention to this It will take a little bit of dev work, maybe something you could automate within tag management perhaps, but it is something really neat that Google is bringing to the table and and it's worth a check out. Two other things on the legal side of things. Germany's justice system has started the process in arbitrating more transparency in Google's algorithm. Basically what they've come out and said is Google controls so much of the commerce within this country we need some better clarity on what determinations it makes to put companies where in its search engine, because it has such an effect on our economy, particularly obviously on the online side of things, which is going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. I mean, what people fail to realize is yes, Google is very secretive about their algorithm. You know, we get these updates and people bitch about, I don't really know what they're waiting anymore or everything's changed. The problem that Google's face with more transparency is also allows people that have nefarious reasons to dupe their system and squash your business to know how to do that easier. They mm-hmm. know those secrets. And so there is this give and take with transparency in that yes, it might make you feel easier, but it also might make your life even more difficult with people that take Shady tactics to get to where they need to be, and essentially start wiping you off the face of the keywords that you know and love. So just keep that in mind. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. The EU is kind of crazy on <laughs> some of that stuff, but uh, it is an interesting case. And then lastly, it seems like this European Union discussion about the right to be forgotten, which has surfaced here and there uh, with different points. Uh, Just to refresh you, there was a ruling back in the day where people should be able to submit to Google and have their information removed. There's a lot of caveats with it, but it appears that because of multiple differing rulings within the EU, that legislation is currently dead in the water, so again, we'll we'll be interested to see how that all plays out this concept of privacy and individuality and and things of that nature. But uh, so some interesting things brewing on the Google side of things. But definitely, we talked a lot about the legal side of things. But check out Structured Snippets. It might be a great fit for your business and can, again, the reason why we talk about these things is to help you stay on the competitive edge. These Mm. are things that are fresh out of the gate and can help you stay ahead of your competitors. So definitely take a look at it. I think a lot of businesses could take advantage of that. That's going to do it for us for this episode. Thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed myself.
0: I enjoyed myself thoroughly. I know all the listeners out there did too.
1: Right. And so one of the things that we'd like to ask of you is two things. One, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, or whatever channel you found us on. Also share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would like to say, a lover, perhaps. If you have feedback for the show, whether that is great job, guys, or I have an idea for this show, you guys are pretty smart, but you didn't think about this, let us know. You can reach us at thebeardmarketers.com contact. Twitter, We're very active there. Or you can even call us at 904-270-9603. Leave a message at the Beard Marketers crisis hotline and Rob will answer day or night. I only take compliments on that line. <laughs> you can also text it if you're averse to talking, which we can understand. You can also feel free to reach out to us if you're struggling with something. We have a lot of experience in the industry, which hopefully we communicate on this show. Uh, but even if we don't know the answer to we certainly have quite a few contacts so we can put you in contact with someone that can. Thank you again so much for your time, and we'll talk to you next week. See